0: Let's open our Bibles this evening to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. One of my favorite passages in the Bible that I've read to you before in other contexts, I'd like to read to you now verses 13 through 16, the Apostle Paul's exclamation and his charge of Timothy to be a faithful minister by appealing to God and to Jesus Christ and our Lord's coming. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 13. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that Thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in His times He shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Amen. That's our brother Paul writing a personal letter to Timothy and getting a little excited about the coming of Jesus Christ. And we ought to get excited as well. But I want the 13th verse. I give thee charge in the sight of God. "...who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate, witnessed a good confession." The Apostle Paul here is exhorting and charging by oath Timothy to be a faithful minister. He appeals to God, who gives life to everything, and he appeals to Jesus Christ, who has given Timothy an example of how to be a faithful minister. By witnessing a good confession himself, when it was a life or death matter with great fear, difficult questions, and a hard situation. If the Lord Jesus Christ could do it so well, Timothy, surely you can be faithful. He who's gone before us witnessed a good confession, and he did it before Pilate. Now you be a faithful minister in light of that. We want to think about the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. In light of this morning's sermon, there are several thoughts that we want to connect between the two. The standard of righteousness that I taught this morning, which is what Jesus Christ taught, and is according to the doctrine, according to godliness in the Bible, is a standard that Jesus Christ fulfilled perfectly in his life. Jesus Christ never had unjustified anger toward anyone nor did he ever call anyone a racca unjustifiably, nor did he ever call anyone a fool without cause. Jesus never broke the sixth commandment. It's precious to remember that. And if you feel condemned by what you heard this morning, knowing that you are a serial killer, you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Praise his great and glorious name. Amen. He has never hated for me. He has never murdered for me. He's never been unjustifiably angry for me so that I could be clothed in perfect righteousness. And the great and holy God of heaven, the terrible and the dreadful God, could look at me and say, that man's never broken the sixth commandment. He can say the same about you. Is that precious? That's why we have a Savior. And He's a great Redeemer. As we look into John 18 and 19 in a minute, if there was ever an example of anger... And murder without a cause. That's it, isn't it? Pilate found no fault in him. And again, Pilate found no fault in him. Pilate examined him with cruel methods and found no fault in him. But he was crucified anyway by the order of the Roman government and the clamoring of the rabid Jews for his blood. Anger and hatred and murder Without a cause at all. The most innocent man ever dying for our sins. Caiaphas and the religious leaders of Israel killed the Lord Jesus Christ and broke the sixth commandment as even they defined it. Literally taking the life away and cutting him off out of the land of the living as the prophet had told us long before. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Let's go to John 18 and look at that confession. Please forgive my pitiful efforts to try to relay this to you, but I'll trust the Lord by His Spirit to get something through to you past my words that might cause you to rejoice Amen. in God your Savior. Amen. Let's look at the event. John chapter 18. The chief priests have sent a band of men with Judas Iscariot to find the Lord Jesus Christ in Gethsemane. Where he was wont to resort with his disciples. And they found him there. They first took him to Annas, a favor for the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. After Annas, they took him to Caiaphas, and in the palace of the high priest, he was examined and abused by the Jews, while Peter stood outside. When the Jews had spent most of the night afflicting our Savior, they went and woke Pilate up and said, Get in the judgment hall, because we've got someone that you need to judge. And so that's where we take up when we come to John chapter 18 and verse 28. I'm going to read and comment. And may the Lord help us all. I don't even like trying to do this. I would much rather listen and hear it done by someone that could do it better. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall lest they should be defiled but that they might eat the Passover. Self-righteous, pompous hypocrites worrying about obeying the rules of the Passover when they had the lamb figured by the Passover in their hands. Pilate then went out unto them, and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Now, is that a clear answer? What do you mean, Pilate? We wouldn't have woken you up in the night, and got you up so early, and brought you a man unless he was a criminal. Well, now, how good is that charge? They need something better than that to charge an innocent man. But that's what they came up with at their first stab. Because there was no charge. They had to manufacture charges against the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 31. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, and judge him according to your law. It was obvious they had no matter of Roman law against him. So Pilate quickly understood that to be awoken this early in the morning, and to have a man there that they could not lay a charge against, it must be a Jewish issue, and so he says, you go take care of it. Why are you turning to me to do your dirty work? The Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. And they appealed to a Roman provision that in most cases, they weren't. That the Roman government was going to oversee the justice and judgment of the land. But it wasn't altogether true. Because he's going to try to turn Jesus over to them again in just a few minutes. But I'll tell you why it was said. And why the Romans were in charge. Because the next verse says that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spake. Signifying what death he should die. Did Jesus ever say that the Son of Man had to be lifted up from the earth? Did Jews lift men up from the earth, or did they pound them into the earth with stones? Did the Romans lift them up from the earth? Then he had to die at Roman hands. Praise our great God. I hope that as we read through this, you will see that the sovereignty of God is visible at every verse. There was a weak man that was born to a mother who may have loved him, but he didn't have any character. And his name was Pontius Pilate. And the Lord God saw him through all the training and learning of the Romans. Saw him through the appointment to be the governor of Judea. So that a weak man would capitulate to the demands of the Jews. And our Lord Jesus Christ would be crucified. I'm told in Acts very plainly. Chapter 2 and chapter 4 that all those things happened according to the determinate counsel of our blessed God. But they with wicked hands slew him. There is no relief or release for Pilate or for the Jews. They with wicked hands crucified him. But the combination of events of a weak man who could not stand up against them is seen in the crucifixion of our Lord. A great governor... The Jews wouldn't have had a chance. A great governor would have delivered our Lord Jesus Christ. A great governor wouldn't have said, I have no fault in him. Let me examine him again. A great governor would have said, I find no fault in him, and he's released, and any man that touches him will meet with the same judgment that he was trying to have executed against him, because that is the law of God. The sovereignty of God is here that Jesus would be lifted up from the earth by the Roman form of capital punishment, and that was crucifixion. Verse 33, Jesus is in the judgment hall. The Jews will not enter in because they don't want to defile themselves. So Pilate goes back into the judgment hall to talk to Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 33, then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Clearly, the Jews had now brought a charge against him. Now, when Jesus was on trial before the Jews, what was the charge? That he said he was the son of God and was guilty of blasphemy. When they get Jesus before a Roman governor who represents Caesar, what is the charge? He's claiming to be king. You can read about it in Luke chapter 23, that he is trying to stir up the people, doesn't pay taxes, is trying to teach them not to pay taxes, and is creating sedition against Caesar. Now, Pilate has a job to defend Caesar and the authority of the Roman Empire. He has a duty to find out if there is any threat to the Roman Empire in Jesus of Nazareth. And so he asks... Art thou the king of the Jews? Because a man claiming to be king, royal authority, without being an appointee of the Roman government, was a threat to the political stability in the area. Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Why do you want to know about my royal rights, and whether I'm a king or not. Do you have an interest in the truth? Do you want to know? Do you care about the issue? Don't you already know by the group that brought me to you so early in the morning that they obviously don't have a charge against me? Why are you asking? Out of real sincere interest? Or just because someone has told you, someone has accused me of being king of the Jews? Pilate answered,
1: Am I a Jew?
0: Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Pilate excuses the whole thing about being king of the Jews, as obviously this must have to do with some of your religious customs and your religious habits. I'm not a Jew. You need to give me straight answers because I don't know anything about what's going on except that you a charge was laid against you, that you're a king and I asked you about it. This is a serious matter that's taking place right now. Your nation delivered you up. You know, we, we look at the word traitor as a heinous crime. Right. Traitors should be Shot. But what is it when a nation turns their back on a man and turns him over to an oppressing, occupying, foreign government? Now that's a traitor. The whole nation's a traitor against the Lord Jesus Christ. And Pilate's pointing out here, the nations turns you over to me, and the chief priests, the head of your religion, turns you over to me. Something serious is going on. This is a grave moment. What have you done that they would turn you over to me? Jesus answers a little more directly in verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. You have asked me whether I am a king. I have a kingdom. I am a king. This is all implied. I have a kingdom and I am a king. But my kingdom is very different from any threat to Caesar. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom has no geographical ambitions, my kingdom has no political ambitions no economic ambitions, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world and were like the kingdom that you're part of or a threat to the kingdom that you're a part of or like the kingdoms that you learned about in political science back in Rome, then my servants would fight for me and would have delivered me from the Jews. You know that great crowds have followed me over the last three and a half years. They would have fought for me on my behalf if my kingdom were of this world. I am no threat. I am no danger to your government. But now is my kingdom not from hence. That but is there to set it in distinction from his servants fighting for him. My servants are not fighting for me and I'm here all alone because my kingdom is very different. My kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And there's more in this than Pilate could have ever understood. But we can understand it. My kingdom is spiritual. I was given authority from heaven, not from earth. My power is not by military might, but by the Spirit of God. I rule over the hearts and souls of men, not over their bodies. I do not win by military force or by the sword. I win by grace that changes men's hearts. But Pilate wouldn't have understood any of that. Jesus simply said to him, My kingdom is not of this world. It's not like yours. I'm not a threat to you or your master. If my kingdom were anything like yours, and there was fear or the possibility of a civil rebellion or a civil war or a revolt, then my servants would have been fighting, but they're not. My kingdom is not from this world. When he said, my kingdom is not from hence, he means my kingdom isn't from the source of your kingdom. It's very different. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Because, see, Jesus has gone back to the subject of a kingdom, my kingdom. I love the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, in that 36th verse, used the word my four times. My kingdom is not of this world. The Lord Jesus Christ was not ashamed of his royal authority and power. He was standing before a representative who had the power of life and death, and who controlled the legions in the area, and controlled the centurions in the area with their troops and soldiers, who represented the head of the Roman Empire, Caesar himself. But Jesus wasn't ashamed to say that he had a kingdom, and he used the word my four times. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Now I opened tonight by reading to you from First Timothy chapter 6 where the Apostle Paul said that he is the blessed and only potentate. How does that compare to Nero? Or any other Caesar? We read tonight where the Apostle Paul said of him that he is the king of kings. How does that compare to Pilate Or his master in Rome. That he is the Lord of lords. And he was then. But he went as a lamb. Submissively and meekly. To the slaughter. Of the Jews and the Romans. To die for our sins. Verse 37. Pilate therefore said unto him. Art thou a king then? Jesus answered. Thou sayest that I am a king. Now, this kind of language is difficult, but this language is not Jesus saying, you have just said I'm a king. Jesus is saying, what you said is true, I am a king. This is a positive affirmation that he was indeed a king. This is not a question, this is not saying what Pilate had just said to him, because Pilate did not make a positive statement to Jesus. Pilate asked a question. If you go read the other seven accounts of this kind of language, they are always all positive affirmations of what has just been said. In the other Gospels, it's shortened to, thou sayest it. And what it means is, yes, I am. What you have said, I am. And when Jesus said here, thou sayest that I am a king, I am a king as you have said is what he is saying in those words. Whether you can quickly grasp their sense that way or not, that's the truth of the statement. That's the truth of the statement because Pilate did not say he was a king. Pilate asked, are you a king? And the other gospels prove by going to the same place in the trial of Jesus that Jesus affirmed that he was the king. Yes, I am a king, as you have said in your question to me. See, it's the same language you used when Caiaphas the high priest said, I adjure thee by the living God that you tell us whether thou art the Son of God or not. Thou sayest it. Yes, I am. You bet I am. You got it. That's right. That's what the words mean. Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth, heareth my voice. Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, when asked if he was a king, said, Yes, I'm a king, and that's after explaining that I have a kingdom. And a man that has a kingdom, and has servants that would ordinarily fight for him, is a king. Jesus then said, To this end was I born. Here is the nature of my kingdom. Here is the kind of kingdom I have. And he's adding to what he explained back in verse 36. When he said, My kingdom is not of this world. Now he's going to explain a little bit more. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. My kingdom is a kingdom and a reign and power and authority and effort and organization For the sake of truth. Not for political ambitions or economic gain. Not for military conquests. It's to present the truth in the world. That's why I was born. That's why I came into the world. I am a king. I have a kingdom. But my purpose is to bear witness to the truth. Not to overthrow civil governments. What a difference. What a difference in kingdoms. You know, I wish that the Roman Catholics... I could wish, because it's all past now, that the Roman Catholics could understand verses like this, where Jesus said, If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. Their servants did fight. They believed the truth wasn't enough to advance their kingdoms, so they did it at the point of a sword and with flames. Islam does it the same way. Islam believes the best method of evangelism is to force it, And that's why their symbols are a curved scimitar, like a crescent moon. But the Lord Jesus Christ's kingdom is totally different. We are at the pointed ends of the swords, while the religions of this world, including those who claim to be Christian, hold the handle and have persecuted our ancestors in the faith. But the Lord Jesus Christ never claimed such a kingdom. My servants are not going to fight for me because my kingdom is not of this world. I don't use military force like you use to advance your kingdom. I present the truth. And those that are of the truth hear my voice. Amen. Amen. That's you and me. And it could have been Pilate. It could have been. But it wasn't. Because he wasn't one of the truth. Pilate had the Lord Jesus Christ standing before him. Can you imagine this exchange? For the Lord Jesus says to Pilate, To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate should have said, tell me more about the truth. Pilate should have been like Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night, and said, Master, these things that thou doest, you must be a man sent from God. But he lost. Look what he said. He said what the world says about us. What is truth? He mocks it. He scorns it in his ignorance, and he turns on his heel, and he walks back out to the Jews. What is truth? You've raised a question that no one can answer. You've raised a question that we've dealt with in all of our philosophy classes in Rome, and we haven't ever settled it. The Greeks didn't settle it before us, and no one's going to settle it. Oh, brethren... We have the settled answers. Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Right. The Spirit of God has revealed all things, yea, the deep things of God, to us by His spirit. We know the truth. Ask me any question, and I'll answer it from the Word of God. Where did you come from? I know the answer. For why did you come? I know the answer. Where are you going? I know the answer. For what end? I know the answer, and so do all of you, because God has shown us the truth. Pilate didn't have any truth. Pilate came from a nation and was part of an empire that was polytheistic. Many gods. They couldn't even figure out who their God was. How can you have two of a thing called God? Because God is a supreme being. How do you have two things that are supreme beings? Either they're supreme or they're not. Everyone that is of the truth, heareth my voice. Do you know what kind of people heard the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ? Harlots. Harlots heard his voice, and they came and confessed their sins and were forgiven. Publicans left their tables and came to the Lord Jesus Christ and were forgiven. Zacchaeus stood and had his life changed in one day by meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. I hope that you understand and appreciate that if you have any interest in the truth of God tonight or you love the Lord Jesus Christ or you're thankful for the truth, it is by divine grace that made you of the truth first. Jesus said in John chapter 8, Why can ye not hear my speech? Or In John 8, chapter 43 and 47, he said, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, Because ye are not of God, my sheep hear my voice, but ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. And Pilate wasn't. The Lord Jesus Christ said, If you were of the truth yourself, you would know that I am a king, that my purpose in this world is to bear witness of the truth, because that's what the Messiah came for, was to bear witness of the truth of God and his righteous standards and the salvation of his elect by laying down his life for them. That there had to be a substitutionary lamb. There had to be the seed of the woman. There had to be the Shiloh of Jacob and Judah. There had to be the prophet of Moses. There had to be the seed of Abraham. That would come and bear the sins of his elect people. What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews. Remember, they wouldn't come in the judgment hall. These are private conversations between Pilate and Jesus. He went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. They had a robber there that was guilty also of sedition and murder. And they wanted him released rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. At this point, Luke tells us what transpired. The Jews, because Jesus is back out, Pilate is about to bring Jesus out and face him with the Jews, and the Jews accuse him of many things, and Pilate hears the word Galilee and thinks that he's just been saved. If this man's from Galilee, then that's not my jurisdiction, that's Herod's jurisdiction. So he sent him to Herod. Pilate thought that he was off the hook. But God wasn't going to let the hook go from that man. I hope that there is no man in this church. You young men, when there is a when you're put in a position of taking a stand for the truth and speaking truth, even though it may cost you dearly, don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. Speak the truth. Do it. Pilate couldn't do it, as we're about to see. Verse 1 of chapter 19. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. What a just Roman governor. I find no fault in him at all. But he has the most demon-possessed, rabid crowd that has ever been seen demanding the blood of Jesus of Nazareth. And so he thinks, I'll scourge him, we'll mess him up a bit, I'll bring him back out, and surely they'll be content with that, because there is no fault, there's no reason for death. Verse 2, and the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Think about this briefly. He has had his back ripped open by a scourge. Multiple cords with often bits of iron tied in the leather thongs held by a wooden handle that would have been wielded by a strong Roman soldier ripping his back open. A crown of thorns has been put on his head and driven into his head with a reed and a reed put in his hand as a mock scepter, as other Gospels tell us. He is blindfolded and the Roman soldiers beat him in the face and demand that if he's a prophet that he tell who just struck him. This is by the order of a man who said, I find no fault in him at all. Verse 4. Pilate therefore went forth again back out of the judgment hall to face the Jewish mob. And saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. I have just applied the harsh and effective techniques of Roman interrogation. I have scourged him. And do you know what that must have done to Pilate? Pilate already knew he was a man without fault. Pilate already heard some things that were alarming to him from Jesus' own mouth. And then he sat there and watched the Roman soldiers scourge him and Jesus did not open his mouth but bore that punishment. Ordinarily, a criminal would have confessed his crime. Ordinarily, a man would have begged for mercy. Ordinarily, a man would have offered anything to appease the governor, and to stop the whipping. Jesus didn't say a word. He didn't threaten, and he didn't revile. It's amazing how quick we are to revile, isn't it? That is, to use abusive language when Jesus didn't use any, when he was being scourged unjustly, and being beaten in the face, and mocked as a king of the Jews, and having a crown of thorns driven into his head, He still didn't revile. And I want you to know that in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 18 through 23, when it talks about you obeying your employer, that is the example that it brings up. Who, when he was threatened, threatened, didn't threaten back, and didn't revile, but submissively took it. And we are to follow that example in our jobs. That is where it is used again by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2. Pilate brings him forth. I want to show you that there is no fault in this man. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. He has been beaten in the face, and he has been scourged in the back. And Pilate brings him forth and says, Behold the man! Look what I've done to him already! Look at how I've examined him! Look at how I've abused him. Look at the pain I've already caused him. Look at the damage I've already done to him. These words, behold the man, have an exclamation point And they're, look at what I've done to him in an effort to evoke pity from the Jewish mob that was standing there. Trying to satisfy their thirst for blood as they saw it running from him freely. Behold the man. And do you know what? As we take the Lord's Supper tonight, those would be good words for our souls, wouldn't they? Behold the man. Look at what I've done to him. And it should have been done to you and me. But it was done to him instead. God should be saying, Behold the man. Look what I've exacted from this sinner. But it was exacted from the Lord Jesus Christ in our place as a substitute for us to save us from what we so justly did deserve. He unjustly suffered for what we justly deserved. Behold the man. Look at what I've already done to him. Isn't that enough? I find no fault in him at all, and having examined him, I find no fault. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! They weren't content with scourging at all. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. How can you say the words and not do something right there on the spot? He could have clapped his hands once and had centurions line up and escorted Jesus to Bethany where he could have been with his friends and his followers. But he didn't. And I hope that there is no one in this room that will ever be like Pontius Pilate. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Now there's much more that can be said because the other Gospels give us details that the Gospel of John does not give us. But you will notice that the crowd now has first used a political charge to try to get Pilate to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. Now they bring up a charge of blasphemy when he says for them to do it. He says he has committed a crime in our nation and we want you to execute it for us and we expect you to execute it for us. Verse 8. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. Amen. He should have been. This man is not only the king of the Jews. He is the son of God. He has just taken a scourging that I have never seen men take that way before. He has just told me that he is a leader of a kingdom that is not like mine. He has just told me that he was born and came into the world for the cause of truth. And my wife has come and told me that she has had dreams about him this very day and that I should have nothing to do with him. And I know that rabid, demon-possessed generation of Jews that I'm the governor over don't have a real cause against him. And then he hears he's claiming to be the Son of God. What question would you ask? Here's the question. Pilate goes back into the judgment hall and takes Jesus with him and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? Where did you come from? He has just heard, that he was claiming to be the Son of God. Where did you come from? That's what the words, Whence art thou? It does, it's not a word of when, it's a word of where. Where did you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus has already, why didn't Jesus answer him? Jesus has already answered him. Pilate already knows he's a just and innocent man. Pilate has just mistreated him by scourging him uncondemned, and the Lord Jesus Christ already knows what Pilate's going to do. That, to me, in thinking about that, do you know if you and I were on trial like this the entire time, we would be using every bit of reasoning power that we could to move the governor to release us, but Jesus already knew that the governor feared for his job more than he loved righteousness. And that the governor was going to capitulate, compromise, and give in, and crucify him. Did that concern the Lord Jesus Christ? Or did he know that's why he came into the world? And he was willing to submit to this weak man. And so he didn't answer him. Verse 10. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee? And have power to release thee. You're not going to talk to me anymore. I hold your life in my hands. Do you know who he's speaking to? The man that the Bible tells me, by him all things consist. The cells of Pilate's body were staying inside his skin and not exploding because the Lord Jesus Christ was holding his body together by the word of his power. Right, amen. Pilate, like most men who get in a position of authority, the saying is, power corrupts. And this man thought he had a lot of authority. And here's how Jesus answered this statement of his. Jesus answered, thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And it goes on to say right after that, and from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. And then the Jews invoke the fact that he could lose his job by befriending a man and releasing a man who claimed to be a king. That was a threat against Caesar. And so they make it politically expedient for Pilate to have Jesus of Nazareth crucified. But let's go back to that 11th verse. Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. You're alive by the power of God. You are in an office of the Roman Empire by the sovereign providence of God. I am standing before you, your subject. Yes, you can order me to be crucified, but that was an arrangement from heaven. You are just a pawn in the game of what the Jews are trying to do to me. You are being used by the God of heaven, and you're being used by the Jews. Therefore... The Jews that delivered me to thee are guilty of the greater crime. They are sinning against greater knowledge. It is their malice and their malignity and their envy and their hatred that is leading to my crucifixion. Those four things were not in Pilate. Pilate was just a weak man. Pilate was an effeminate man. Pilate was a compromiser. But he didn't hate Jesus of Nazareth. He wasn't malignant nor malicious toward him. He was just being used by God as the civil arm to accomplish something that the Jews did out of hatred and spite for Jesus of Nazareth. And they were the murderers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what transpired last year because of Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ movie. And all the Jews being offended that Mel Gibson made them look bad in the movie. They are bad. The whole New Testament of the Scriptures of God lay the burden... And the guilt and the blood on the Jewish nation, not the Roman nation. Because when it came to a conflict between the two of them, the Roman nation won and the Jewish nation lost. The Roman nation shed the blood and the Jewish nation bled the blood. They're the ones that said his blood be on our hands. Pilate washed his hands. Pilate knew what he was doing was for political expediency. And Jesus here did not release him from his guilt but told him, you're really nothing in the equation. It's been given to you from heaven. And oh, let us pray that God would never choose us for such a role in his divine plan. The Lord chose Judas the same way in his divine plan. And do you know what Jesus said of that man? It were better for him not to have been born. Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. All you're doing is executing the office that God gave you, because he ordained civil authority, and he put you in the office, and he arranged that I would meet you in this setting. But there is behind you a rabid crowd of Jews who are demanding my blood, and you are going to capitulate and give in to them, therefore they have the greater sin because they are the ones that are out for my blood. You're weak, and you're caving in, and you know it, but they're the ones most guilty. And Pilate sought to release him from that time forward. and sought more diligently, but if you go read the other occurrences in Luke and Mark, it says that the Jews were furious, thinking that they were losing their hold on Pilate. And so they bring in the Caesar argument that you can read in verse twelve right there. Where is the good confession? I charge thee before in the sight of God, who maketh, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. We have just looked at the whole confession that the Bible gives us, the lengthiest. Description of it is in John chapters 18 and 19 that we just read. The Lord Jesus Christ, prior to this, all through the night, has been abused by his own nation and stood before the council of the Jews. Please try to imagine. The high priest, the high priest's father, grandfather-in-law, the chief priests, the Pharisees, All of the religious leaders were present at the trial of Jesus Christ of Nazareth during the night. He was tried on the charge that he had said he was the Son of God. Before that religious council did he flinch as he stood there, a carpenter's son with no one defending him, his disciples denying him, his followers running away from him, Did he deny that he was the Son of God? He didn't flinch a bit. Do you think Timothy understood 1 Timothy 6.13? You know he understood it. And I want you to understand it. He didn't flinch. You know what? Some of you are afraid to wear modest clothing. Some of you are afraid to pray in public. Some of you are afraid to say the name of Jesus Christ to others. Some of you are afraid of giving your parents the honor that they are due. Some of you are afraid to say where you worship, where your church meets. The Lord Jesus Christ stood before a council of the high priest, his father-in-law, the chief priests, the Pharisees, and all the religious leaders. He stood there by himself, and he was a carpenter's son from Nazareth, and they said, We adjure thee by the living God. Tell us whether you're the son of God. And he said, You bet I am but I want to tell you one other thing. You're all going to see me sitting at the right hand of power and coming in judgment. Praise His name. He witnessed a good confession. Then, the man from Nazareth, the man of sorrows, is hauled into the judgment hall of Pilate. And he is examined by the man that with a snap of his fingers can have a man's head cut off Or have him scourged. Or have him crucified on wood. And he comes before that man. And that man says to him. Art thou a king? He has no followers. He's from Nazareth and from Galilee. He's a carpenter's son. There's nothing royal appearing about him. Except to me he looks very royal. Because he did that in submission to his Father's will, who was holding a crown at that moment, because I read in the Word of God that he looked through the cross and passed it, and he saw in heaven his Father with a diadem that he was going to put on his head as soon as he could get past that cross, because the Bible tells me that, and I believe it. It's in Psalm 16, and it's in Hebrews chapter 12, who for the joy that was set before him despised the cross and the shame, and happily endured it for you and for me. Because he is a king. He's the king of kings. And he was the king of kings then. But he was crowned with glory and honor, brethren, just a few days after this. Art thou a king? Oh. Pilate would have met Caesar. Pilate would have known what a king looked like. You know, Pilate would have seen the praetorian guard. In Rome, it was impressive. Here's Jesus of Nazareth. Art thou a king? Did he flinch? He said, you bet I'm a king. My kingdom is not of this world. It's nothing like your kingdom. My kingdom is to bear witness of the truth, and everyone that is of the truth knows that I'm a king. And you wouldn't have any power against me, unless my Father in heaven had given it to you. I am a king. And while I may not appear a king to you, and while you're going to have me hung on a cross because you're too weak to face that rabid mob, I am a king. And you've been given this opportunity, you've been given this position by the God of heaven for the purposes of truth and righteousness in the earth. He was a king and he did not flinch. The Apostle Paul gave that verse to Timothy. So that when Timothy was ever brought before magistrates or brought before men that would make fun of his religion, that would make fun of truth, that would make fun of his king, that would make fun that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God, Timothy would not move any more than his Savior had. Because when Jesus was asked, Art thou the Son of God? You bet I am. Are you a king? You bet I am. And what is truth? Jesus got in the words before the man could even say that. They that are of the truth, heareth my voice. Jesus had already told Pilate, if you can't see in me the truth and I'm a king, it's because you're not of the truth. Our Lord's confession before Pilate is a wonderful example for Timothy. It's a wonderful example for me. It's a wonderful example for you. Are you ashamed of the Son of God? He is God in the flesh. Are you ashamed of your king? He is the blessed and only potentate, king of kings. Why are you ashamed of him? I hope that you're not at all. Consider his fearlessness in facing the cross when he knew, see, Jesus wasn't like you or me. We could have survived the trial because the outcome would still have been in doubt. Do you understand? The outcome was in no doubt in the mind of Jesus of Nazareth. He knew that Pilate was going to have him crucified. He knew what it was going to be like. He knew that his father would desert him. And he did it all anyway, consciously, for you and for me. Consider our Lord's superiority to the high-ranking official in Judea. Who do you want as your judge, your intercessor, Your high priest, Pilate, any man like him, or the Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious testimony he gave. And you know he spoke of his kingdom, and you're members of it. You are members of his kingdom. Jesus Christ came into this world by his spirit, and delivered you from the palace of a strong man, and spoiled that strong man's goods, and pulled you out, and took you into his kingdom. He changed your heart to want to be here. And if you wonder, did he really change my heart, then just look at your family members and see that he changed your heart. Do any of you get it? He did change your heart, and he is a king, and he has a kingdom, and it's not of this world, and he has conquered our hearts, and he has brought us together tonight to have this feast, to remember his death until he comes, because all that we just read about and all that we didn't read about, he did for you and he did for me. I want the application of this for you to remember that Jesus Christ didn't compromise at all nor did he flinch nor did, was he ashamed in the least bit and he witnessed a good confession before Pilate. He was the son of God. He was king. He had a kingdom. He was of the truth and only those that were of the truth would even hear his voice and that Pilate was only a pawn in the hands of a living God. Can you be thankful tonight for the good confession and submissive death that Jesus died for you? Can you be convicted tonight by His bold example to be courageous and to follow Him in this dark world? Are you willing to stand for Him as He stood for you? That's the call. That's where the words came from in 1 Timothy 6.13. Will you be as faithful for Him as He was for you? May the Lord bless our consideration of His trial.